you want to learn more about effective management, head over to madsingers.com and sign up for my free management training. Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Ryan Sheckle. Welcome, Ryan. Mad Sink, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to join the show. I'm a, you know, I, I've listened to a bunch of episodes and I love what you're doing to elevate managers. Excellent, excellent. And I'm super excited as well because you have gone through a lot of this stuff yourself and uh, you've, you've had some very interesting experiences. So I'm super excited to, to talk about this. But just before we get into it, as always, there's people around the world who don't know who you are yet. So would you mind giving a little bit of an introduction to who you are and how you ended up where you are today? Yeah, absolutely, Matt. So I graduated college and, you know, I didn't really have a lot of direction um, when I graduated. I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do. I had a degree in education, so I became a fifth grade special education teacher in the United States. I'm from upstate New York. Rochester, New York, and I got a job in Atlanta, Georgia, teaching fifth grade. And it was an unbelievable experience. It was eye-opening, getting to a different part of my country, uh, experiencing another culture within the United States and just learning and being around other teachers, but also kids on a daily basis. And, you know, I really enjoyed teaching, but there was something missing. And there was something about you know, just the parents and the administration that I just couldn't wrap my head around that I didn't love. So I wanted to get into business. And I ended up deciding to pursue a career in medical sales, specifically orthopedic surgical device sales. And I ended up getting a job and I had, I took over territory early on in my career. It was doing about $300,000 annual revenue in Atlanta, Georgia. And over the course of time, I ended up actually building that territory up to $10 million in annual sales and growing a, a large sales team underneath me to kind of help facilitate that growth. So it was a great journey from education into the corporate world and um and that's kind of where i am today i'm i'm continuing that career managing and and now educating other managers and leaders on how to grow their own territories excellent that sounds like a lot of fun so you've you've got full circle from teacher to manager back to teacher yeah in a in a way i have in a way i have and it's funny because you know a lot of what we do, and I think a lot of what your listeners will appreciate is relationship building, right? And working with orthopedic surgeons is incredibly interesting. And one of the coolest things that I enjoy about it is that they're so much smarter than me. So on a daily basis, while I'm selling and teaching others to sell and manage, I'm learning so much and it's always a running joke and if any of my surgeons listen to this they will know i i bring it up all the time in the operating room and i say that uh being a, a special education teacher was the perfect practice for dealing with orthopedic surgeons and we all kind of laugh and joke and and ultimately they'll look back and say well what do you mean by that ryan and uh and, and i say well 
you know, I mean, you guys are all high energy. You don't like to listen and it's impossible to teach you anything. And you know, they all, they all kind of laugh. But what I've realized is education was a perfect segue into managing and selling. And if you know anything about the special education system in the United States, when a student needs special education services, we create a document and that document is called an IEP, an Individualized Education Plan. And that translates so well into sales and management because what that document does is it takes into consideration the way the person you're trying to teach or manage thinks, right? So you're looking at that individual, you're looking at their learning style, you're looking at their personality type, you're looking at everything they need to either perform a task or be successful, and then you're creating an individual plan for that individual to achieve the goals that are set out for it. So while it's a big joke in a lot of ways for me, it's actually a great tool to individualize my management style and my sales techniques for the individual that I'm working with. Yeah, I like that. And, and I've actually I've seen and, and worked for multiple people in, in my management career that have a background in teaching. And, and uh, you know, sometimes when I say that teaching can be very similar to, to management, Typically, what people say, oh, well, you, your staff is not children. And the whole point is, no, I know that. That's that's not at all what I'm hinting at. But it's the mindset you have as a teacher, where you're constantly trying to lift people up, constantly trying to help people, not just tell them what to do, because that's a problem many managers have, but actually teach them how to learn it, teach them how to gain skills, teach them how to outgrow and, and very often outgrow you. I mean, my, my absolute favorite with management is when I have a team that are individually smarter than me than various areas of the business, and they can all outsmart me in, in some way, right? Like, I love that about management, because when you build a team and when they become sub-expert in their own areas, then, and they're better than you, that makes you less needed. And this is one of the things that, for me, most managers and most business owners are missing. They think they have to be the center of attention all the time, but in reality, their goal is to be the opposite, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, it's the ultimate ego problem, right? Because if your ego is so large that you require being the best and, and having all of the recognition for success within your company, then that's a massive problem. Because if your ego is telling you that you need to be the one getting all the accolades and the rewards, well, then the people underneath you, the people supporting you, the people that you're supporting, they're not gonna be as driven as you would hope to have them be. So my goal, just like you're saying, Mads, is if I'm leading someone, if I'm managing someone, my goal, my job is not done until that individual or that team is more competent than I am. So I'm always looking and that, that starts in the hiring process. And I think we should always be identifying people with skills that work well with ours, but also skills 
that supersede our skills. And we should be looking for people to replace us in every single person that we hire. Because ultimately, you really are looking for someone to replace you. Because when you replace yourself, you're allowing yourself to kind of detach from that particular task or position and then perform a more important position of overseeing that team that you've now created. Yes. And that is what, what I say. Normally people have the opposite concerns. So most managers I work with is like, oh, but you know, if someone knows how to do my job, then they can just fire me. I'm like, they could. Or what happens in 99.99999% of the cases instead they could promote you, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and what I said is turn it around as well, right? You're most likely not going to be promoted if your team and your business unit crumbles if they remove you, right? Yeah, and it starts from the top too, right? Like you have to understand, define, and articulate the purpose and mission of your company. Because if, if you're leading from the top, and, and let's just start there. If you're leading from the top, you have a mission in mind, whether you own the company, whether you are in the executive management uh, capacity in the company, first and foremost, your priority is achieving the mission or your, your overall overarching goal of the company. And no one is gonna be more invested in that mission than the owner or the executives because they're the ones really pushing to achieve like full success and scale that business so that that mission is achieved at the highest possible level. So if that mission is at the forefront of everything a company does, specifically from a leadership role, then as you kind of go down the hierarchy of management, that mission should be articulated as clearly as possible so that everyone within the company understands the direction and the expectation set forth for them. Because again, no one is going to be as bought into the mission and the purpose as the owner of the company. Yeah, totally, totally agree on that. Totally agree on that. Yeah, I think that's very interesting. So you, you work with a lot of younger people and, and training them to run their own show, basically. Is that right? Yeah. So the way, you know, the way medical device sales works and it's adapted a lot uh, in, in the 15 years that I've been kind of involved in the, in the industry. But um, when I started, you know, it was kind of like the, the, the analogy would be, it was like the wild, wild west. You know, there's a handful of reps and we were all out with our products, just showing everyone everything, growing like gangbusters and, uh, you know, selling whatever we could. Well, that was all well and good until, until you really needed to not just sell, but manage the business you've created. And as we grew, we had to provide the same level of service that we were providing sales. So ultimately what we would end up doing is you'd have a senior sales rep and they would bring in an associate sales rep and they would teach that associate kind of how to do what they did. That way they could actually finally take a vacation after years of nothing. And eventually as you continue to scale, you start creating a small team underneath you. And the way healthcare works specifically in the United States, and I don't want to speak for around the world because it is different everywhere, 
But within the United States, it's very regional. Um, It's a big country and the reimbursement for surgical supplies changes based on the state, based on the region, based on the hospital system, or, or even the down to the ship to account. So it's very specific the way you sell and the way you manage a territory in New York compared to California or Louisiana compared to Minnesota. So a company that is able to tailor a small business, a small regional business is going to be positioned much stronger because of their flexibility within the market that they manage than a larger multinational or national company can that just kind of oversees everything. So the way we work, and I love this in terms of considering a similar uh, management style, the way my company works is we have a parent company, it's a manufacturer, and then we have agencies or distributorships all throughout the country. So it allows each distributorship or agency kind of the flexibility to work within the structure provided to achieve the goals that are set forth for it. So my role currently in our agency is to help facilitate the growth of all of the younger sales reps that are now coming out of college and graduating with their business or management or education degree to come in and really learn the healthcare sales business to understand the sales process, to prioritize the service and the education of surgeons, and to really grow and manage a business that is their own small niche business within the territory that they're assigned. The way we like to do it is we say, if you're coming in brand new, we're gonna train you, and then within a year, we would love for you to have a small handful of accounts that you manage like it's your own 1099, uh, which is a sales or that's a independent contractor uh, tax code in the United States. Like it's your own small business without any kind of oversight from anyone else. So it's truly, it's almost as if I am training business owners um, once they come out of college to do medical sales. Well, it it does sound a lot of fun for sure. I, I think in terms of the, in terms of the training and in terms of mythology and so on, like what's what's your focus? Like how do you motivate managers and how do you, you know, how, how do you sort of drive the attitude into people or the mindset that you feel is needed from a management standpoint? Yeah. So first and foremost, I think you have to exemplify it. And the way that I love to train people is I think it's important, you know, we call it like a ride along. And I think the first three months on the job, because the learning curve is so high, um, and and specifically in medicine and surgery, uh, if you do make a mistake on the service side, the implications are high, right? There's a patient on the table and they, they could be injured or potentially die if you do something wrong or if you forget something. So because the the cost is so high, we like to do about three months of of on the job training where you're just, you're shadowing um, a more experienced, a more experienced rep. And as you kind of go through that process, you're a learning the surgery. So you're learning the procedure or the product you represent. And you're also meeting everybody you need to know. So you're meeting the surgeon, you're meeting the staff, you're meeting administration, purchasing. So you're now being introduced to all the key decision makers 
within the process and you're cultivating a relationship because I truly feel like the most important part of any job, not just sales, not just management, not just ownership, the most important part of any job is your reputation in terms of building trust, having integrity, and being authentic. So I think it's really important to take someone under your wing when they start and to exemplify all the values that you have within the company so that they not only hear about it from you, but they see you going through the process of cultivating, continuing to cultivate the relationships you have. So three months of that. And then, you know, I think it's, you start to take the training wheels off and you give some, you give some flexibility to the younger rep and you say, okay, here's a task that I'm looking for you to complete. You need to study, you need to prepare, and you need to execute this task. And then it's a small task and you give them the opportunity to succeed or fail. And both are good. Whether they succeed or fail, I think that's a positive experience. If you succeed, you have now learned that you're capable of doing the job. And if you fail, well, good. Now you've learned what it takes to be successful based on what didn't work. And look, we all fail so much. And, uh, you know, it's funny because you and I were talking before before we got started and, and we were talking about failure. Um, within business, within, within the industry. And I truly believe, you know, failure happens, but I think in my industry, what I've seen more often than not, failure is a direct result of overconfidence. Because what happens with overconfidence is that you refuse or you fail to understand the preparation that needs to go in. And I I look back on one of my, uh, one of my biggest failures. And I had this, I had this um, hospital system that needed new equipment. And I had a great relationship with all the surgeons. We were buddies. We would go out for a drink. We would hang out and go see sporting events. And, you know, to me, it was a shoe in I, I thought this deal was a done deal to the point where I brought all my equipment in. We trialed it. It went phenomenal. And then all of a sudden I get this call saying, Hey, Ryan, can you come in so we could talk about your deal with, uh, with the CFO? And I'm thinking, all right, cool. They're going to, they're going to give me a check, you know, like this is good. And I walk in and as I'm walking into this conference room, I see four guys in suits and a full on, you know, briefcase presentation walking out. And, uh, and one of them kind of looks at me and smiles and I recognize him as one of my major competitors. And I'm thinking, these guys weren't even involved in, in the trial that we had. So I walk into the room, I'm alone. I don't have a manager. I don't have a, a proposal. I had sent it over email, but I didn't have anything with me. And I, com- I completely blew it with the CFO because I was overconfident. And I, I did not prepare and I took, I took for granted that I thought the deal was done and, and they, I was there to collect the invoice. And, uh, and to this day, I never now, I never assume that something's done until the invoice and POs in hands. And it was just this overconfidence that I have that now I go into every business proposal scared that I've already lost the deal. And I think it's a great transition in the way that I thought 
about making a presentation. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. I, I tend to look at it as in most cases, I think failure comes from lack of action, right? I think um, when, when I look at many managers, many business owners and so on, I think a lot of the time, a lot of the failures I see at least really come from people sometimes being scared of taking action or sometimes being scared of taking the next step that's needed, right? So I, I totally see where you're coming from. Which yeah, is, that you know, it's yeah. funny you say that though, because that's the opposite, right? So, so, so what I'm saying is there's too much ego and people, people sometimes fail because they're overconfident. And what you're saying is people don't have the confidence to pull the trigger and, and, and take action. And it's, yeah. it's interesting that, that, it's kind of like this opposing viewpoint, but I can see it from both ways. I think you're absolutely right. I, I think, well, at least again, many people. So, so people are different by nature, right? And and some people definitely take action, and and probably some take a lot of action. But uh, I I think most of the failures I've seen, not necessarily myself personally, but but most of the failures that I see when particularly when training managers and working with business owners it's it's really the lack of confidence the lack of ability to 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 really push uh, push themselves and really push through something because they're it's usually due to fear of some kind or it's usually due to you know we need to be a thousand percent correct and uh, you know they're wanting to perfect everything and and i i think fundamentally like i think that I think that is a bigger challenge and what I see at least. Uh, yeah, yeah well, I can so totally let, let's, let's unpack that for a second because mm -hmm. that's a really interesting perspective because you, you kind of said two different things, right? So you say there's a lack of confidence, but you've also said that um, people are paralyzed by analysis and they're, they're, they might not um, be ready to make a decision because they feel like they need more information. Um, I'm curious to know, because I know that you've worked with a lot of different businesses, is there like a personality type that you would attribute to to the people who fail because they don't take action? Yeah, I mean, so honestly, probably most personality types, I see it happening pretty frequently. Um, definitely, I mean, I, I use DISC like crazy. So uh, personality-wise, there, there's pretty much anything other than these tend to occasionally be stifled. Um, Obviously, you have the other side of the coin as well, where people take too much action, do a lot of random things, but never really follow through, right? But at least uh, sort of in the tech online space, there, there's a lot of people who are, you know, very detail-oriented and, and who's really, um, yeah, they, they don't like making decisions if they're not 100% sure of the outcome and so on, right? And particularly in the sales area, I mean, they, I see them getting stifled so often in the sales area where they're kind of, one, they're not good at selling because they sometimes don't understand the value they provide or they don't understand like the pricing and so on. So they often like, you know, they're not comfortable with what they're selling. They're not comfortable with their own product. And that leads to inaction because when you're not comfortable, if you feel you're tricking someone into buying your stuff, like that makes it so much harder to sell, right? Yeah. So uh, two things you said two things. So the one, the one thing is, and I completely agree with you on this, you know, if you're talking about, and I know that a lot of your listeners are small business owners, generally, and I don't want to, I don't want to speak specifically, generally, a lot of small business owners have more of like a captain or a, um, 
like an executive personality and uh, or entrepreneur personality. There, there's so many names for these personality types, right? And a lot of the characteristics of that type of personality is this analysis, execution, uh, attention to detail, large visionary thinking. Um, and I can see a lot of people with that personality overanalyzing situations and not being able to move. The interesting thing to me is that you said you also see it in sales because the one thing that I've observed in sales and I've done a lot of sales training um, with with a lot of sales reps and the majority, and I don't want to say the you know vast majority, but let's call 60% of the sales reps that I have seen and worked with have a personality. Um, a lot of times it's called like a talker, right? So the way their mind works is that they work through problems through communicating first to understand kind of what they're thinking. So, you know, their mouth is working a mile a minute and you might hear that from me sometimes. And it's hard sometimes for my brain to catch up to what I'm actually saying because this, this pause and silence, sometimes I feel like I have to fill it with, with noise, right? So I have to take a step back and say, okay, I'm talking too much. But I also think sales reps oftentimes have the same problem. And again, that's that, that's that talking too much mentality to where you've now made a mistake by not paying attention to the details and maybe assuming something that you shouldn't have assumed. So I think that's a, I think that's a really important kind of thing to understand in terms of just understanding different personality types and how they may be prone to failure and, and kind of trying to nip that before it actually happens. Yeah, and I, totally. And I think as well, like when you're looking at sales in particular, right? I think a lot of people, when, when people talk a lot, there's a great balance between talking a lot and being confident about it and talking a lot, making you seem nervous, right? So I've definitely seen my fair share of salespeople that just can't shut up and it really just make them look like, you know, they're, they're trying to push something down your throat, that they're, they're trying, they're, they're afraid of letting you speak kind of thing. Um, and that, at least to me, that have made them come across extremely nervous, right? So I, I think you're right. There's like a, there's a very, very fine balance, right? I couldn't agree more. And one of the first things I do uh, when I bring someone into the operating room and, and meet a surgeon for the first time, the very first thing I tell them is don't lie. Don't make anything up. If you don't know the answer, the correct answer is I don't know, right? Because as soon as you lose that trust, exactly what you're saying, if you're talking too much, you're bound to be caught up in maybe not a lie, or a misdirection, but you may just say something that you don't know. So my first piece of advice is always, you're only as good as your reputation. Please, if you don't know the answer to something, don't make it up. It's okay in the operating room in a high stress situation to say, you know what? I don't have that answer. Let me call someone and I will get it for you. And that will earn so much more trust than sometimes even knowing it in the first place because it shows that you have the humility to get them what they need and, and put out to the world that you don't know everything. So yeah, that's always, always my first piece of advice. 
And and I think this goes as, as well for many business owners because a lot of business owners, uh, like I've worked with so many people, and when they talk with their staff, they're like, they feel ashamed if they don't know the answer to a question, or they feel like, oh, I'm the boss, I'm the owner, I should know, and they're like, you know, they they either make up stupid excuses or something like that, and I'm, and I'm like, no, tell your staff, like actually tell your staff, I don't know, because again, it's it. It, it's not just building trust and rapport. It shows them you're human. It shows them that, you know, you actually need them because there is stuff you don't know. Uh, you're not this all-knowing oracle that's the center of the world and all that good stuff. Right. Yeah, I love that, and especially for young managers. And and you get this you get this question a lot, and because we we oftentimes like promote from within, and and I think that you know we try to give young young representatives an opportunity to grow into managers. And one of the first things that inevitably happens when you promote a young person into a management role is they feel like they should know everything that like a more experienced manager knows. So they come in guns a blazing and it's, we got to do this and you got to do this. And you know, I need this. And as soon as there's pushback, as soon as there's a question, of what needs to be done, they'll just take it on themselves and make a decision. Whereas you actually build um, more equity with your team if you offer them the chance to contribute to these large decisions and you say, hey, I don't have the answer to this. But you know what? You guys have the better perspective having been in these positions for longer, having more experience, having understand understood the process in the company longer i'd be thrilled to get your perspective on what your opinion should be to do this and that does multiple things it, it a gets trust in those employees that that you care about them so now they know that you value them in their opinion but it also allows you to kind of not steal their ideas but benefit from their experience right i mean it, it, it's true that if you can sit in a room and listen to 10 people offer up an opinion, well, your perspective is going to be that much stronger and you're going to be able to make a much more informed decision by involving others in the process. So I think it's a really important lesson for, for young managers or new managers to truly understand that you don't have to have the answers. A lot of times the manager's role isn't to have the answers. It's to collect the information necessary and to make the most informed decision. Yeah, my, my favorite way of saying it is that the manager's responsibility is to find the people who can make those good decisions. Because again, uh, I don't necessarily see the manager's role per se as being the one making the decisions, right? Like as a manager, I love giving the responsibility for different area of the business and different area of what I manage uh, to the individuals working for me. Uh, because often they're in the weeds. They know the place better. They know the, the piece of business better. And they are often better at making those decisions. And so I, I love delegating responsibility wherever I possibly can. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's exemplified a lot of times in sales because you... To, to switch that mindset from sales to managing is difficult. And you'll, you'll find oftentimes new managers will say, well, I'm still given a quota 
right? Like our young managers say, okay, I'm given a quota. I have to hit a number. The easiest way for me to hit a number is to sell everything I need to sell because they understand that that's what they've done for years, right? That's what they're comfortable with. That's what they know. But that's a very short-sighted idea because if, if all they do is, is go over their team's head and make a big sale without them, well, they, they now didn't include their team in learning how to do exactly what they need them to do. And that experience is, has passed and it's unfortunate. So it's really difficult for, uh, like I said, a young manager to kind of take a step back and say, instead of making a sale, I'm going to be responsible for educating my team on the process that I would typically use to make that sale happen. So you're absolutely right. You know, I, I truly believe a manager's job, especially in sales, a manager's job, while they may have a quota, they're not responsible for the quota. They're responsible, they're responsible for the people that are going to hit the quota for you. Yeah. So, and, and again, like I, this is not just in sales, by the way, I, I think the, the number one thing I work with, with most people and most managers is changing the mindset from an individual contributor to a, a leader and a manager, right? And, and those mindsets, like that mindset shift is the number one biggest difference between being an individual contributor and being a manager, right? And, and even business owner, like, like that mindset piece, like I, I have a whole training on, on leadership and management. And, and honestly, a lot of it is helping people move that mindset, change that mindset, getting that away from, I will, I do, I, I anything to, how will I encourage someone to do it on our behalf? Because it's not just, I mean, sales-wise, it's not just that if you go and do it, but the whole thing is your time is better spent educating your team so that they can make the sales. Because if you make them, again, you only have 24 hours a day, right? You only have 24 hours. And there's only so many big sales you can possibly make by yourself. But if you spend your time focused on growing and developing your team, they might not be able to land the big deals you can right now, but if you keep growing and developing them, they will turn into and they will become able to do so. And if you have ten, a team of 10 people who can make big sales versus yourself, even if they are only 70% effective, they can still make a lot more sales than you ever will, right? Yeah, um, I actually I was speaking to someone a couple weeks ago, and uh, this this guy's name is Scott Olson, and he worked in the uh, FBI for a long time, and he ended up developing a leadership course. And we were talking about leadership, and he he said, I, I hope I don't ruin this quote because I don't have it written down or anything. He said, leadership is a scalability problem, and you become a leader when you run out of individual bandwidth. And I think it's a really, I think it's a really cool thing to think about because it's exactly what you just said, Mads. If you run out of bandwidth in terms of what you can do individually, well, now you need to bring someone else into your company, into your responsibility to help expand that bandwidth to achieve more. So every time you run out of bandwidth, individually, now group of two, now group of three, so on and so forth, you're scaling your bandwidth as a leader to achieve a higher 
quantity of that mission, that purpose, that whatever your company is set to do or provide, you need to scale it by increasing bandwidth underneath you. And I think at its core, that truly is what leadership is and management is about. And it was really interesting to hear that from, from you know, someone that's worked in the FBI developing, he actually developed the leadership course uh, for the FBI. And, and I thought that was a really profound insight. Awesome. Well, Ryan, it's been an amazing conversation. So thank you again very much for joining me here. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Mads. I really appreciate it. If people are eager to get in contact with you, Ryan, what's the best way to do so? Yeah, thank you for asking. So um, similar to yourself, I have a podcast. It's a leadership management podcast. It's focused on achieving your goals through overcoming adversity. Um, so it's kind of a niche little topic. You could call it self-development, um, but I, I really like the business aspect and the management aspect of it. It's called the Every Breath Counts podcast, and it's everywhere where you stream, and you can find me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, um, LinkedIn, and it's Ryan Sheckle, uh, as well as Every Breath Counts podcast. And uh, yeah, look, if you like Mads podcast and, and you appreciate insights from successful people and, and you want to optimize your mind, your body, your career and your life, then shoot on over to uh, Apple, Spotify, wherever, download Every Breath Counts podcast and give it a listen and, uh, you know, like it, do whatever you want to do with it. But um, yeah, I think, you know, Mads, we have a very similar mission and kind of mentality and it, it was great kind of volleying with you about management and leadership. And uh, I really appreciate it, man. Awesome. And to the audience, thank you very much for hanging in this far. We'll be back again next week. Have a good time. Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.